0: Welcome to Scare You to Sleep, I'm your host, Shelby Scott. How are you doing this week? Did you drink any water today? I know you need to. I do too. Don't worry. It's not just you. (laughs) Let's just jump into tonight's stories. I think we can all use a little escape this week. First up tonight is a tale from author Amy Gretsch, and if you love what Amy is bringing us this week, which I know you will, then I will have Amy's website, Crimson Screams, linked in the show notes for more. Tonight, Amy has for us, Fallout.
1: Marking the days on the wall with pink chalk is the only way to mark time now that the power's out. Happy Valentine's Day. My name is Placido Sanchez, and I'm sitting hunched over a rickety card table in the basement of my must house, scribbling this in a dog-eared notebook with a pencil, squinting as I write by the dim glow of a kerosene lantern purchased from the mall. Ravenous, I surrender to a voracious hunger, a need to feel full under a guise of normality. There's comfort in routine, no matter how mundane. At first, I devoured perishable food, milk, ice cream, cold cuts, cheese, fruit, and vegetables stored in the freezer, running on a propane-powered backup generator that lasted a mere 72 hours before switching to canned and freeze-dried provisions, my last resort after the bombing that obliterated my family and everything else. I'd been reduced to eating tasteless canned food that had been sitting untouched for months on the verge of rotting, scarcely fit for human consumption, but a source of sustenance, nonetheless. I can't bear another can of bland, baked beans. My stomach growls loudly in protest. I yearn to taste fresh meat. I lick my lips in anticipation and sigh. I kick the last, un- can across the floor, it lands with a loud, hollow clang against the massive pile of empty cans, bottles, and boxes that are strewn in the corner. Julia's remains are a perfect distraction from the incessant boredom that plagues me, a bountiful feast to engage my senses. I had been consumed by her passion long ago my beloved Julia would be consumed by my insatiable hunger. She would have wanted it that way. You would bring us together again. Body and soul. With a heavy heart, I spaced pale pink meat into thin, translucent strips with a knife, also My tears run down Julia's cheeks as I set down a dish of fine bone china. I chew each morsel slowly, relishing the poignant flavor of my meal, fresh off the bone. My wife's thighs contain the sweetest meat I've ever That Juliet never got to see, aside and wipe my sweaty hands on my tattered jeans. I already devoured the succulent meat on her rump, arms, breasts, lower legs, toes, and fingers. I now have a newfound respect for finger food. on Julia's left hand, kept as a memento out of respect, and I slip it on my pinky. The precious gem sparkles in the dim light, a reminder of the decade of bliss we shared. So sweet. My iPhone battery wavers. It stubbornly refuses to hold a charge for more than a few hours keep my phone charged force of habit but it hardly matters now there's no one left to call the cell signal has become very weak I don't remember the last time I've seen the sun but I have the lantern a poor substitute there isn't any running water though I still have several gallon jugs to tide me over but none of the comforts of home Morning of the bombing, I drove to a nearby mall to pick out presents, birthday presents, for Julia, a set of Chicago cutlery and a bone china she'd always wanted. I picked up the lantern on a whim, foresight. I remember it when the bomb dropped, six o'clock on a Sunday night of mounting tension between the United States regarding their right to occupy our airspace. In retaliation, they unleashed their nuclear arsenal. I was grilling hot dogs and hamburgers in our backyard in New Mexico, next door to the Air Force Base, a prime target while Julia kept Juan and Maria company at the picnic table nearby. They were playing cards. Chin rummy, and Juan's eyes lit up when he won for the first time. He grinned while his feet dangled in the air. Not used to losing, his little sister pouted and knocked the entire deck to the ground. To get buns and rolls out of the basement pantry just before the hamburgers and hot dogs burned, and Julia and I ran into the house. She ran down the stairs too fast. The heel of her shoe got caught, and she tumbled head first to the concrete floor below. By the time I reached my love, neck was already broken. At that moment, I heard the explosion outside. I screamed and clutched my lifeless wife in my arms, unable to accept the cruel blow that fate had dealt me. I wanted to give Julia a proper burial in the backyard, but radiation prevailed, so that wasn't possible. Instead, preserved her body in the walk-in freezer, her final resting place until I needed her to keep me going. I close my eyes and picture the gigantic mushroom cloud, an immense, fiery burst of lethal nuclear energy instantly annihilating everything in its path, including my beloved children i envision the hot dogs the hamburgers the baked beans and the macaroni salad julia made
0: For this evening is you know her, you love her, Danny Mae Chen is back with another beautiful and haunting and frankly deranged tale. This is Onassis. From my edge on the seat of the bed, I could see my reflection in the ornate gilded mirror. I adjusted my signature pillbox hat. I had one in every color. That night, I chose a soft pink. It was perfect for the occasion. A pop of red livened up my cheeks. Come on, Jackie O. Running late. Charlie used to say. I think he meant it as a taunt rather than a compliment. But I saw it as high praise. I learned of the Kennedy assassination in grade school. I remember the moment I realized that his wife had been in the car when it happened. From that moment, I needed to know everything about her. I was obsessed with Jacqueline Onassis. Her grace, her style, her tragedy. I wanted all of that for my own. Any penny of my allowance was spent in thrift stores and consignment shops, trying to recreate her wardrobe on my tiny figure. She looks like an old lady, the other children would say. Do you think her grandma dresses her? (laughs) Regardless of the ridicule, I was proud to be different, to be like Jackie. I began dyeing my naturally blonde hair brown, as soon as my mother would allow it. I begged her to let me change my name. Jacqueline is such a classic name, I would whine. She never budged. She insisted that my name, Isla, was unique and I should be proud. I didn't want unique. I wanted to be like her. Now that I think about it, I don't think Charlie ever knew I was a natural blonde. Ironic, as he often remarked that he preferred blondes. I never talked about Jackie to Charlie. I knew he would have only laughed at me. I didn't pay much attention to his ridicule. It wouldn't last forever. He probably thought it was all in good fun my husband didn't tease me about my hat that night i took solace in that he should have never teased me at all i made him i built him when charlie and i first met he was slacking his way through community college working at a gas station on the edge of town i volunteered for a highway cleanup project and our rendezvous point was the gas station Charlie took a liking to me immediately, but I had better prospects. I think he knew I was too good for him, and I had no doubt. Still, he tried to win my favor. He would greet me every morning, pay me compliments, bring me small gifts. I was polite, but did everything I could not to reciprocate his affections. The cleanup project lasted a few months, and by the end of it, Charlie was unrecognizable. He spent a quarter of a year trying to raise himself up to my level. When I reported to the station on the last day, Charlie was in a suit, with a fresh haircut, a dozen roses, and acceptance letters to four universities. Whatever you need me to be, I'll be. There was a twinkle in his eye that convinced me he was telling the truth. In that moment, I saw his potential. His light brown hair was clean and combed, and his usual stubbly beard, gone. Charlie was no longer the rugged, working-class man pining over me. He was beautiful. From that day on, I realized what I had. I slowly nudged him into the world of politics. He got involved with local government after he graduated, moving quickly up to the state level. His gas station years and community college background made him more relatable to the voters. He was an American success story. Last year, Charlie was elected to the state senate in a landslide victory against his stuffed shirt opponent. I don't think he ever realized what he was being groomed to be. My own personal JFK. But the man willing to give up everything for me was long gone. Politics suited him. But married life was a different story. Maybe he resented me for all the changes he had to make to win my heart. Maybe he resented me for never truly loving him, or maybe he resented me for being barren. I turned to admire the heavy wooden door. The antique charm was what drew us to this bed and breakfast in the first place. I was more than giddy when the bellhop handed us the big brass key that unlocked our room. No key cards that demagnetize when stored too close to your cell phone. Just a weighty piece of metal with a numbered tag hanging from the loop. The ancient grandfather clock near the door chimed, startling me out of my train of thought. It was getting late. The commotion outside was dying down. The guests would be returning to the lounge soon for cocktails. I looked over at Charlie and realized... I would be going downstairs alone. He clearly wasn't in the mood to talk. I headed toward the door, but stopped short, as I heard others in the hall. Feeling nosy, I bent down to look through the keyhole of the door at who was out there. Everyone should have been outside. Ah, the Russian couple from room four. They didn't speak much English, and I never could get their names. He was a large, burly man who always wore a smile that did not quite suit his face. His clothes were just as ill-fitting as his smile. He usually wore tank tops that only just kissed the waistband of his skinny jeans. I can't imagine where he found jeans that tight to fit such a large frame. He matched the jeans with combat boots or flip-flops, depending on the time of day. Flip-flops for breakfast and lunch, boots for dinner. This evening, his tank top featured a faded American flag. His jeans were acid-washed, and the combat boots were shining black patent leather. They must have gone up to the room so he could change to match the festivities of the evening his companion was a very different story. She was a willowy woman who never smiled. Her ash blonde hair was always perfectly curled and her clothes impeccably tailored. She often dressed as if she were off to a job interview at a high-end accounting firm. Everything fit perfectly, but nothing too flashy, that is, except for the shoes she seemed to live in six-inch stilettos all louboutins if the red soles could be believed apparently red leather with white stars was the shoe of the day today how appropriate i wondered how many pairs she had in total since i couldn't understand what they were saying watching them had become a little hobby of mine during our week at the bed and breakfast not just then either all the guests the Russian couple was my favorite since I had to be creative I didn't know their story so I made one up Anton and Irina I called them Charlie said it was rude to make up stories so I mostly kept them to myself I think Anton dreamed of being a choreographer for the Russian ballet he was muscular enough to show he took care of his body so perhaps he wanted to be a dancer but he didn't quite have the skill. He thought choreography would be the next best thing. Unfortunately, that field was much more difficult than Anton anticipated, so he settled for being a stagehand. Anything to be a part of the ballet. Irina was the one who had the talent. She had the skill and the beauty to be a star. She was the golden girl of the ballet. Her hair was silvery blonde back then and fell in a sheet down her back. Audiences were mesmerized watching her twirl and leap across the stage. Anton was mesmerized too. He spent years trying to court her, win her over with his charm. But Irina had no time for dating and wouldn't waste her time on a stagehand. She was the star. She could afford to be picky. Then, in an instant, everything changed. Irina tore her Achilles tendon during a performance, and her career was over. Anton rushed the stage and scooped her up. Irina looked at him and realized she would settle for Anton. She had no future, and she was no longer the star. She could no longer afford to be picky. Since that day, Anton has spent every moment and every penny trying to keep Irina happy. And Irina has spent every moment trying to move on. She never smiles because the stage was the only thing that gave her joy. He always smiles because he wakes up to his beautiful ballerina every morning. I watched them turn the corner before slipping out of my own room. The Do Not Disturb placard swung from the knob, As the heavy door slammed behind me The maid, Doris Was a few rooms down I could hear her shuffling about the room Humming along to some catchy 80s tune I picked up the pace and hurried down the hall So I wouldn't have to talk to her Doris was a sweet woman But she would talk the ear off anyone who would let her
1: Hello, dear
0: She called through the door on her first morning here for a quick pickup? I imagine she was beautiful once but time and years of hard labor had not been kind to her her jet black hair was streaked with thick gray bands arthritis riddled her joints leaving her fingers swollen and gnarled a gold band seemed permanently wedged over the engorged knuckle of her ring finger I have no idea how she cleaned ten rooms every day, but somehow she managed. Judging by the fact that she was still cleaning at such a late hour, it was not an easy task. I decided Doris was once married to the groundskeeper, but he had a torrid affair and ran off with a young, sultry guest. She was devastated after that, never bringing herself to take the ring off. From there, She would have no choice but to stay here and work for her living, constantly reminded of the life she once had. I'm sure Doris would tell me every detail, but I prefer my version. At least I was lightening her load a bit this evening. My room was off-limits. How many guests heard our fight earlier? At least a few couples had, like us, returned to their rooms after dinner. There was a lot going on, but Charlie was not subtle when he was angry. "'Damn it, Isla! This weekend was supposed to be about relaxing!' he shouted. His booming voice echoed off the old walls. I tried to remain calm, but I was never very good at controlling my temper. "'I just wanted to go on a hike tomorrow. We'll be heading home soon, and you've hardly left the hotel.' The scenery is too beautiful to waste all of our time inside. You chose this place because of the inside. I really just... I don't understand you. We were actually having a nice night. Why'd you have to ruin it? That set me over the edge. Of course you don't understand me. You never have. I thought getting away would give us some time to bond, maybe rekindle the old flame. But I'm starting to think it isn't worth the trouble. I was suddenly the one shouting. I tried to bring down my volume. Maybe we just aren't working anymore. You're 34, Isla. Do you really think you're going to find someone better than me now? Charlie said. Apparently, any woman over 30 was an old maid in his mind. I think it would be harder to find someone worse. I spat at him. I know it was petty, but I was angry, and he was rude. You know what? I'm done. I can't handle the shit anymore. At that point, I ran into the bathroom and slammed the door behind me. I ran a bath, knowing that soaking in the deep clawfoot tub would soothe me. I heard the bed springs creak as Charlie flopped down on it, turning the television up loud to drown out the running water. As I lowered myself into the scalding water, I hoped his last remark was loud enough for everyone to hear. Fireworks weren't for another hour, so I had plenty of time to relax until then. Charlie did his own work in fitting into the Kennedy persona, though I doubt it was intentional. I found out about Marilyn a year ago. I'm sure she wasn't the first. Marilyn wasn't her real name, of course, but I found it more interesting. Charlie's Marilyn was no movie star. She was a nanny for the Rodriguez triplets down the road. Less than glamorous, if you ask me. I was on my way to becoming a real estate tycoon, and he was sleeping with a nanny. When I found out about the affair, I was suddenly glad we could never have any children of our own. Everything would be easier without children involved. Marilyn was a buxom girl with no great beauty to speak of. I wish he had chosen someone prettier. That might have made things better for me. Although I can't say I was entirely disappointed with the affair, I couldn't be Jackie O without a cheating husband. If he hadn't strayed on his own, I may have been forced to orchestrate something myself. So far, I had found a nightgown under the bed and her lip gloss in his car door. That's not even counting the hundreds of emails. I may dress like I'm behind the times, but I knew how to hack into my husband's accounts. Charlie was getting sloppy. Jackie once said, I don't think there are any men who are faithful to their wives. Maybe that's true. I guess I never really expected Charlie to be different. In truth, the affair hurt my pride a lot more than my heart. I was faithful to him, mostly because I wanted to play the role of devoted wife to my Politician husband. And I never confronted him about Marilyn. I let him think he was getting away with it. I made it down the hall before Doris emerged from room three. It was important that she not see me. Not yet. I ran my hand along the wall, lightly trailing the filigree adorning the door to room one. I knew David and Marco. The gay couple from upstate would be out on the lawn. They were always the first to arrive, always involved in every activity. Marco and I had become fast friends at dinner one evening. He and David were on their honeymoon. Their room shared a wall with ours, and they heard our nightly arguments. "'I'm Isla, room two. I said when he offered me his hand to shake. "'Oh, right!' You two are a... spirited bunch. Marco replied. I was embarrassed. Of course they had heard us. The entire hotel probably knew our dirty laundry. Charlie had already left the table, so he felt comfortably speaking freely. Honey, are you okay? Are you safe with him? His bark is worse than his bite i tried to sound light he's a man not a labrador if you need anything we're right next door Margot looked sad but dropped the subject david nodded at me over his shoulder over the next couple of days Margot invited me out to all of their activities i accepted a few but i didn't want to intrude on their vacation too much they were a sweet couple Marco was flamboyant and outgoing, while David was preppy and reserved. I didn't know much about their past. I see David as the type who was closeted until he met Marco. Marco was not the type to be dissuaded by something as trivial as sexuality. David didn't talk much during the time I spent with them, nor did he seem particularly comfortable with public affection. Although... I saw him steal a few sweet kisses from Marco in the hallway as I watched them through the keyhole one evening. Marco talked loudly and often about his family back home. I imagine David didn't have much contact with his own family after coming out. His demeanor screamed strict conservative upbringing. I got lucky. Being born in a blue state to liberal Mexicans was the best thing that could have happened to a gay brown kid. Marco's love for his family seemed to radiate from his eyes. When I brought David home, they cornered me and threatened to disown me if I ever let him go. David reddened at that. I guess I got lucky too. Marco grabbed his husband's hand and kissed it, which only seemed to increase David's embarrassment. I don't think Charlie and I were ever that happy, not even in our early days. We were playing the roles of husband and wife, without any of the true emotion behind it. He fit my ideal image, and I came from family money. We looked to be the perfect fit. Yesterday, I sunbathed with David and Marco on the edge of the lake. Relaxing on the sand seemed like the perfect 4th of July activity, and Charlie was distracted by some baseball game anyway. The sand was softer than I was expecting. Marco chuckled at my vintage inspired one piece swimsuit. Are you ever not in character? He smirked and flipped down his sunglasses. It's not a character, it's a lifestyle. I retorted, getting a laugh from my newlywed friends. We talked all afternoon about our respective vacations and our reluctance to return to our regular lives soon. Eventually, we were all starting to burn and decided to pack it in and get ready for dinner. See you at dinner, darling. Try to be early. Fireworks are at 8:15 sharp. Those boys and their schedule. Although, I admit, I was looking forward to the fireworks. They are precisely why I chose to come here for the 4th. The hotel is well known for putting on a very impressive and very loud show over the lake. Charlie was in a sour mood when I made it back to the room. He mumbled something about a missed line drive. I wasn't really listening. I took my portable steamer out of the closet and went to work on my royal blue suit. It was perfectly tailored. I wouldn't have it tainted by errant wrinkles. I also brought out my pink one. That was for after dinner. Normally, I wouldn't waste two outfits in one evening, but it was a special occasion. So I guess we're dressing up, Charlie said. The annoyance plain in his voice you can do what you want dear you know i want to look nice and the blue is festive i kept my tone even no arguments before dinner we needed to be a normal semi-happy couple if just for an hour or two but i think you would look very handsome in a shirt and tie all right Pick something out for me. I nearly always dressed him, which is how I preferred things. It was easy for us to look like a put together a couple once I decided to dress up. Men's fashions haven't changed much since the 60s. My wardrobe took considerably more effort. In just under an hour, we were picture perfect white house ready even if i do say so myself my husband looked dapper in a white dress shirt with the sleeves rolled up i paired that with a red power tie with navy slacks his sandy brown hair perfectly coiffed the vacation had been rough so far but this dinner would turn things around as charlie checked his hair in the mirror i bent down to look through the keyhole in the hallway several guests were heading down to dinner perfect i wanted an audience ready love i asked lightening up my tone as i walked behind him to check my hat one last time it took charlie off guard after all we had been bickering nonstop since we set foot in this place but the hint of a smile on the corner of his lips showed it was a welcome surprise and I held out my hand and he took it as we stepped into the hallway we nearly collided with Irina and Anton Charlie mumbled an apology Anton gave a wide forgiving smile while Irina's face remained unchanged we paused to let them go ahead of us Charlie played the gentleman and held out his arm as we approached the stairs. He even kept his eyes off Irina's backside as we followed them down to the dining room. I paused on the first landing and looked up at my husband. I know things have been hard, but I have a good feeling about tonight. I stood on my toes and leaned in to give him a peck on the cheek, but he stopped me. Lipstick, he said. In our early days, Charlie hated when I wore it. I can never kiss you with all that on, he would say. Lately, we show so little affection that it really made no difference. I chose a bright red to get into the holiday spirit. The dining room seemed stunned as we walked into the dining room arm in arm. Just the reaction I was hoping for. Marco beckoned us over, but his smile seemed forced. Over the past few days, I had told him and David all about Charlie the fights, the threats, everything. Why don't you just leave him? You don't have kids. So what's holding you back? David interjected on the beach that afternoon. Security, I guess. I have my own career, but the political field has been good to Charlie. I like being a senator's wife, even if I don't much care for the senator himself, I replied, knowing how flimsy my argument sounded. Besides, things haven't always been bad. I keep holding onto this idea that our best times are ahead." Marco made a disapproving noise, and David hadn't asked any more questions. But that night, at dinner, we were a new couple. He laughed at my jokes, and we shared stories from our past with the other couples. I think I even saw Irina crack a smile once. Perhaps she knew a bit more English than I thought. Charlie ate tri-tip steak, and I had the roasted half chicken. We ate bites off each other's plates, just like we did when we were dating. Dessert was a chocolate mousse. We shared one, even though I knew Charlie wanted his own. For once, he seemed to be really trying. I wondered what his motivation was as I already knew my own. Perhaps he was hoping for sex. He hadn't seen Marilyn in days. The proprietor of the bed and breakfast, Rebecca Dupont, whose personality was as snooty as her name, stood up to make a champagne toast after dessert. To friends, lovers, and the American dream, she said as if she ever had to work for anything. Ms. DuPont was unmarried and lived in a mansion up the hill. Depending on the position of the sun, her home cast a shadow over the hotel. Her family owned several vineyards in California, though her wine cellar was filled to the brim with French imports. She charged an arm and a leg for these rooms, considering it was pocket change in comparison to her own spending habits. Rebecca shook hands by presenting her own with the top of her hand facing the other person, as if offering to let them kiss her rings. She considered vacationing in the Hamptons to be slumming it. I imagine she had several broken engagements in her wake. The first to a friend of the family who spent his free time in racing sports cars and adding notches to his bedpost her father encouraged the relationship but rebecca was not a woman to be trifled with she called it off a week before the wedding when she caught him in bed with a bridesmaid how cliche from there she spent a summer in los angeles drinking in the glamour of hollywood She met an attractive, up-and-coming leading man, and the two had a whirlwind romance. He released several box office flops, and the phones stopped ringing. Rebecca DuPont could not risk being associated with a failed movie star, and left with hardly a goodbye. Ever since Hollywood... Rebecca's love life has been filled with CEOs and finance moguls, none of which were ever good enough to make it down the aisle. There was likely a jewelry box entirely dedicated to old engagement rings, each one more extravagant than the last, each one a painful reminder that no one would ever live up to her standards. Marco and David seemed to have a very different impression of Rebecca. They idolized her. Charlie made not-so-subtle comments about how attractive she was. Maybe that's why I hated her. She was tall and blonde, with a perfectly Botoxed forehead. She always dressed as if she just came from posing on a yacht for a high-end catalog, I wondered how this weekend would affect her business. Ayla, dear, I love that color on you and it really brings out your eyes, Rebecca said after the toast. Thank you, I said, all forced politeness. Well, I do hope you all enjoy dinner. Fireworks will begin at 8.15, I recommend watching them from the dock but you should find wherever feels most comfortable. See you all soon. She swept from the room with a grace that could only come from a debutante. Back in the room, I began laying the groundwork for the fight. I commented on the state of Charlie's clothes and how messy his half of the bathroom was before finally setting on the agenda for the following day. After the yelling was over and my bath had gotten cold, I knew I had to get to work. I had just enough time to redo my hair and makeup before the fireworks started. I went for a soft, subtle look, no lipstick this time. I pinned my hair back into a small bun, I pulled my pink suit from the hanger and placed the matching hat neatly on the vanity. I looked at my reflection in the bathroom mirror, wondering if I would ever look the same again. The first pop of a firework brought me out of my trance. They were even louder than I had expected. Perfect. Irina and Anton were always last to the table. I hoped that would be true for cocktails as well. I managed to avoid Doris. But I didn't want to run into anyone else in the hall. My entrance to the lounge was essential. Everything had to be perfect. Shock after a tragedy looks different on everyone. Some scream. Some cry. Some shut down. Some even try to live life as usual trying to block out whatever trauma they just experienced. I chose the latter. I took a deep breath on the landing. (sighs) Showtime. I walked slowly through the dining room. I heard gasps from my left, but I didn't look anyone in the eye. I had perfected the thousand-yard stare, and it was essential. But I got it right. I let my mind drift as I walked, knowing I could afford to be unfocused. I began to think of my eventual trip to Greece. I would need a mourning period, of course, but there was no better place to find a Greek second husband. I knew I couldn't move too fast, or people might begin to question my sincerity. My friends will eventually suggest a girl's trip, and Greece will be brought up. I had made a point to talk often about how much I would love to go. We would travel the beautiful landscape, and I would eventually find a man. Hopefully a wealthy one. Nicer than Charlie, but not as good-looking, and not nice enough that I would regret losing him. I wondered if respiratory failure would be easier to replicate, a gunshot i imagined so i collapsed on the grass staring up at the night sky smoky from the recent flaming display it was very peaceful i could hear sirens in the distance i knew they would find the body soon rebecca was suddenly at my side she was screaming something but i wasn't paying attention the paramedics would find me any minute. The shock had to be clear to them, too. The police would find a note in a Word document on his open laptop. Short and sweet. They would find Charlie's fresh fingerprints on each of the keys. Isla, I'm sorry. I tried to give us one last good night, but I even fucked that up. I wanted to give you everything, but I never could. I hope you know I loved you. I'm so sorry. Don't hate me. Charlie. It wasn't signed with love, nor would anyone expect it to be. People would mourn Charlie, but many would agree that the politics changed him. In recent years, he had become an unhappy man. Marilyn would come forward, proclaiming that he was planning to leave me and accuse me of killing him. (laughs) A few would believe her, but no one who would be taken seriously. I would be the grieving widow, attempting to recover from the horror and shock of what I had just seen in that locked room on the 4th of July. I would speak only positively about him from now on. No hint of my former bitterness would cross my lips. The gun would be covered in smudged fingerprints, both his and mine. I would tell them I tried to get the gun away from him after failing to talk him down. There was no evidence to indicate foul play. I made sure of that. I witnessed accounts of my demeanor the morning after... Plus, my tears in the interview would evaporate any lingering doubts about my innocence. She walked downstairs and didn't say a word. There was blood splattered across her face and clothes. David would say. At first, I thought she was hurt, and we figured her husband did it. Miss Dubon went after Isla, and David and I ran up to her room. We figured he lost it and finally hit her. You should have heard the fights they had. That guy was always screaming at her, and that poor girl just took it. Marco would tell the police. We asked the cleaning lady to open the door, and we found him. We we didn't touch anything. The poor thing was obviously in shock. Rebecca would follow up. Everyone would agree that they hadn't heard anything over the works. They would take my clothes to analyze the blood spatter. It would be consistent with my story. I was very close to him, trying to save his life. His mother would tell the police that she believed her son had been depressed since the death of his father. She would send me flowers, and we would cry together at the funeral. She always loved me, Open and shut suicide. Senator Charlie Coble committed suicide at 37 in front of his wife. He was survived by his mother, Judith, sister Mina, and dutiful wife, Isla Coble, a widow at 34. Just like Jackie Thanks for listening and thank you to my authors for sending in these stories. If you'd like a story featured on the show, you can send it to scare you to sleep at gmail.com. And I think I'm still doing my Jackie O voice. <laughs> I emailed Danny and said that I watched a few, um, interviews with Jackie O that I had never seen before. I haven't really ever seen interviews with her. um, And to study her voice, because I thought that that's probably what Isla would have done is try to mimic her speech patterns. And so I tried my best to sound like someone who was trying to sound like someone. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the stories. I think I already said that this the, the story Onassis also reminded me there is a very weird movie from 1997 starring Parker Posey uh, called The House of Yes, and it's about someone else who is very obsessed with Jackie O, and it's crazy, and it involves incest um, and twins And, um, it's, it's really bizarre, but if you're into like really weird art house movies, then I recommend it. If you've never heard of it, it's called the house of yes. Um, anyway, uh, this has been a week, everybody. It has been a week. Um, I don't have much to say. I think a lot of us are pretty exhausted, especially my fellow Americans. Um, yeah. And for the rest of you, don't even worry about it. We're doing cool. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's totally fine. I'm going to go make some apple bread right now. It's just like ancient, not ancient. It is not ancient. It's from like the 1700s, this really old recipe that I've made before. Um, and there's this, uh, YouTube channel I watch that they do, really awesome um like old-timey candy reviews and old-timey recipes and they are called the nb historian and they did this old i think it was dutch apple bread recipe one time and i've made it before and it's fantastic so that's what i'm gonna do to chill out a little bit and chill my brain Um, i hope you all find some solace and some comfort I know my friends over in the UK, you're all in another lockdown, and I know that's gotta be real tough, so we're all going through it. We're all just going through it, and I just wish all of you a little bit of solace this weekend, Um, going into this weekend, you know, just finding some happy, relaxing moments through all the chaos. Um, I don't mean to sound like a Hallmark card, and I really am, I really do mean that. I am not being disingenuous. I promise. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, yeah. Thank you to my authors again, Amy, Danny. You're fantastic. Those were both very fun stories to work on. It's been a little bit, it's been probably a month since I've worked on other people's stories and well, I I worked on a few, you know, ancient, (laughs) I keep saying ancient. I don't mean ancient, a few old timey stories for Christmas ancient. Why is that in my brain? (sighs) I'm going to go make some apple bread, everybody. I hope you have a great night. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.